it was all about how you orchestrate people, processes, and technology. That's how it has been. Now, you also are adding to that these LLMs, which are like digital brains. How do you orchestrate uh, people, process, and uh, technologies or apps and these digital brains? Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, depending on where you're listening. Welcome back to AI and the Future of Work. Thanks again for making this one of the most downloaded podcasts about the future of work. I'm your host, Dan Turchin, CEO of PeopleRain, the world's most loved AI platform for IT and HR employee service. I'm also an investor and an advisor to more than 30 AI-first companies and a firm believer in the power of technology to make humans better. I've mentioned previously, this podcast makes unicorns frequently. Congrats to great recent guest, Guru Bonavar, whose company, Viome, just raised an $86.5 million Series C from Coastal Ventures and others. Guru, welcome to the growing community of AI and the future of work unicorns. Now, we learn from AI thought leaders weekly on this show. And of course, the added bonus is you get one AI fun fact each week. Today's fun fact. Jacob Roach writes this week in Digital Trends Online that AI can now steal your passwords with almost 100% accuracy. Researchers from Cornell trained a machine learning model to listen to keyboard clicks. A phone app using the integrated microphone demonstrated behavior while listening to passwords being entered on a Zoom call. It accurately recreated the passwords 93% of the time. Consider this a public service announcement to change passwords frequently and when possible, use biometric authentication as a second factor in addition to text-based passwords. As always, we'll link to the full article in today's show notes. Now shifting to this week's conversation. VJ Tella is an enterprise software legend, having founded Unicorn and Cloud 100 company Rocato nearly a decade ago after an amazing run as the founding SVP of engineering at Tibco and CEO of Kick, which was acquired by Skype. VJ is a visionary leader who has raised more than $400 million to date and built a team of nearly 1,000 employees. Ricardo is a leader in the fast-growing enterprise automation space, and the company's customer list reads like the Wall Street Journal, including organizations like Adobe, Atlassian, Coca-Cola, and Walmart, to name a few. VJ's latest achievement is his newly published book, The New Automation Mindset, in which he and his co-authors put the current generative AI euphoria into historical context and provide timely insights and case studies. The book's so new, in fact, that uh, VJ's launching it right here on the podcast. Add that to the list of benefits of being a loyal listener. Thanks to great former guest, Carter Bussey, Wakato CIO, for the intro to VJ. And without further ado, VJ, it really is my pleasure to welcome you to the podcast. Let's get started by having you share more about your background and uh, how you got into the space. It's Dan, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me on. So my background in the, in the broader integration space goes back, uh, uh, goes back a long time, more, more, more time than I'd care to admit. I was part of the founding team at uh, TIBCO, which you know, uh, was sort of a, you know, the leader in this, you know, in this integration space. And I had built a product called the TIB, which was um, the information bus, which was the first integration middleware product that was designed to make disparate software, software systems 
to work together. You know, we called ourselves digital plumbers, you know, to connecting all the applications. And uh, what really turned me on was the, uh, the business value that you get when you connected these applications. It was like one plus one equals four. Um, and uh, it, it's unlocked the power of the existing systems and actually the productivity of like what you can do across the company. Uh, that that uh, and, and I had gone on to also start the middleware product line at Oracle called Fusion Middleware. That's like a bigger business than database right now uh, for Oracle. Um, but what really inspired our Workado journey was the time I spent in the consumer space. So I checked out enterprise software. I got into, I was doing a company called Quick. Think of it like uh, it was like an Instagram for video, you know, two years before Instagram came out, like, and uh, with a live streaming, like, uh, like Twitter's, like Telegram. Um, and it was a very exciting product, technical product, because we were doing all this live streaming stuff on 3G networks, you know, in the early days of iPhone and smartphones. But, you know, it, this, this experience really rewired for me how software should be. It's got to be really beautiful, inspiring, um, just welcoming and engaging to, like, do, do, do interesting things with it. Uh, at the same time, um, you know, for this free product that was, like, $5 a month uh, for, like, few people, like, 5% of the people paid, like, a premium, the expectation was it was always on. When it went down or for a little bit, you know, Ashton Kutcher would be screaming on Twitter about it. It was a, uh, it, that whole experience about like around how a software should be, how it should work in, min, in many ways, the expectations were higher, just changed my perspective on how software should work. And when I, you know, that company got bought by Skype and when I sort of re-engaged with my, some of the people I'd worked with in, in the enterprise software, what I saw was there was a really big movement towards cloud that was already happening at that time. And it was looking like the early innings. And this movement was driven by business people that are not very technical. So the scale of integration just exploded and the audience was no longer just IT people, but a much broader audience. Uh, so I was excited about bringing some of the playbooks of this beautiful, compelling software with under the covers, like really technical stuff, but making that uh, uh, really easy and accessible uh, to the market, and so that's really where Tibco started. Uh, so that you know that, that so pretty much, I think um, all the various experiences in the integration enterprise and like the consumer space, like sort of led to what 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 we are doing now. You saw the automation space essentially at its inception as part of Tibco, and uh, now you're reinventing it again as part of Workata. Uh, I referenced the book earlier. What would you say is the new automation mindset? Yeah, I, I think the, um, the, the the mindset is actually not really new. Um, you know, I had the great opportunity to work with companies like, you know, FedEx and Amazon, Netflix, you know, and various, you know, at, at, at Tibco, Oracle, and Workado um, in part of their transformation journey. What I saw is these kind of companies had a very unique uh, approach or a mindset where they looked at the bigger picture of what's going on um, uh, in their in their space, looked around the corner, um, and when there were some big changes, you know that uh, that were happening in the economy, you know they they um, they leaned. They were not afraid to break things and and build something more interesting and better and more relevant. And they also were aligned 
across the entire organization. Everybody was aligned around this mission. They had a role to play. Uh, they engaged everybody. So this this kind of a systems thinking, you know, like leaning into change, not just adapting to change, but making it happen, and democratization, kind of, uh, you know, getting making it a team sport was something that I was uh, really compelling about all these. But the difference is with all those companies that had an incredible amount of resources to make it happen too. What's different now and what's new is that with you know, AI and, you know, automation technologies and connectivity, you know, low-code connectivity, all of these things. Um, anybody with this kind of a mindset can actually transform themselves. Um, so it's new in the broader world, but in many ways, it's not really new. As you're doing research for the book, what was the one fact or maybe uh, interview that surprised you most, maybe even something that didn't quite make it into the book. Yeah, this one thing that did I, I did I think put in the book. I was uh, I talked to a lot of great leaders, and it was just you know it, the, the most exciting part of the book was um, talking to customers and like thought leaders and change agents in various companies. Uh, you know, what, during that period, at one point, I was in a Singapore office uh, meeting our team. And I know the Singapore office was uh, we, we do a lot of our HR operations from there, and they do they do all our onboarding. We're known for like an incredible onboarding, and they do all this great onboarding. Um, and there was this person called Jia Yang, you know, who runs who you know who heads up our HR automations. And as I was talking to her, you know, what uh, I realized what, what I learned was, you know, five years before that, she was actually stocking supermarket shelves. She did not have any technical background. Um, she joined Workado as like a HR associate to kind of help with the logistics of people coming on board. But then she saw that like she could automate that. So she she learned, you know, she picked up on Workado, she just, you know, and she she learned the the product and then she started automating and then she couldn't stop. And um and you know it's 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 ch it changed the game for how are the you know the employee experience, especially the new employee experience. And what blew my mind was the the you know we talk about this in the book. We talk about democratization, engaging your whole team, that the, the automation and AI actually open the aperture of who can participate, who can create, who can add value. It's not just the gurus and the experts; it's everybody. And there it is, like in, in, in our own company. And she was not the only one, you know, like her, one of her colleagues, Stephen Hoon, who does like systems for us. He was in some logistics company, you know, not in you know, a technical role. He came in to kind of help up, help set up conference rooms and AV systems. And he runs like our IT, you know, operations. Um, you know, he does these automations. So I think, you know, they, they say like, you know, good habits start from home. But uh, I didn't even, this was already happening in our company while I was trying to tell the story about what customers are doing with it. That, that, that uh, was, a, it was very exciting. You know, that I, I did put at least GIing story, I think, into the, into the book. You're changing lives. And like you said, your own company is just a little microcosm of the impact yeah. you're having around the world. So that's, that's amazing. Exactly. You and I are both in the automation space and every day we're meeting executives that sometimes make it hard to have a conversation about automation because oftentimes um, we'll need to coach them about you know how to find the right problem to solve, where to start on an automation journey. 
what's your lesson for leaders who um, are looking for a business problem to try to find where automation is the solution? Yeah, no, that's a really great question. You know, almost uh, like the English definition of automation is is taking something that is being done manually and um, and do it automatically. You know, um, uh, but and so literally, I think the you know if you go back in time and you look at things like you know invention of steam engines or like you know uh, you know uh, you know automotive printing press, they really. Auto, the automation was something different. It was transformative. It changed like how humans lived and you know configured their lives and organized ourselves. Um, but if you look at the recent history of automation and software, it was really been about looking at where in your company people are doing repetitive tasks like data entry or like you know um, support or whatever, and um, and then replace them with bots that that like you know that mimic what humans do um so this type of view of automation it's actually as a way to just replace people is just like really problematic at many levels first it is it it does save you a lot of costs that's why people do it it is actually game changing to your bottom line it's great but it's a temporary thing it's like a sugar high um you know Transformation fundamentally is about rethinking for future and reimagining what you want to do, uh, what, where your company wants to be. But when you go and look at what people are doing and replace them with bots that are doing exactly the same thing, you're just cementing in place how things were being done for the last 30 years, how a business process works. It's the opposite of like transformation or innovation. It's, it's basically locking things into place. And it's such a very limited view, uh, you know, in my view, a little bit of a depressing view of automation. I think the real power of automation is more like some of these earlier generation of technologies where you have the opportunity to rethink about what, you know, like customers' experience, you know, expectations are changing. In pandemic, things became more digital, right? Digital business de- models, digital delivery. You know, there is uh, all these opportunities that uh, either you get like, you know, kind of like swipe by them or you embrace them and you expand your TAN. So that's, um, uh, to me, like the, the, the advice I would give to leaders is look at the big picture of what's uh, happening around your space and what role a company with your DNA and expertise, forget about your systems and like, you know, exactly what you're doing today. What can you actually apply it to and reimagine that? And what you will find that half the things you're automating, you may not even want to do them. I mean, there's nothing as useless as automating things that don't need to be done. You know, it's so I think really, you know, just uh, taking a, you know, like a bigger picture view of things and leaning into like changing, if even if it means like breaking things up a little bit so that you can put them back better. So, you know, so that's what I would say is that we should break. I think there's an opportunity, especially with AI to, you can also apply AI exactly this way. You know, like there was a Goldman, um, like estimate in trillions of dollars that of economic impact AI can have. You know, when I read that report, their analysis was also based on which jobs can, which particular role and tasks, you know, can be replaced by AI, you know, um, so that's still a very limited view. I think it's it's great. It will save you cost, but 
there's an opportunity to actually fundamentally transform ourselves, who we are, like FedEx did, Netflix did, and so on. And, and I think if we only focus on replacing people with bots and miss the bigger picture of you know, the, the opportunity with AI, I think I will miss the boat. So my recommendation is to sort of you know, get out of this task-centered, like you know, I'm going to automate this person's task, to what, do we, what are we about as a company, where do we want to be, and then work backwards from that. I've had so many versions of this conversation, but that insight is brilliant that it's not worth automating a task that you shouldn't be doing in the first place. Yeah, uh, it's really, it's just, uh, yeah, it makes no sense to do yeah, that. Yeah, I may reuse that one, Vijay, with attribution, of course. Actually, this is not, um, you know, I, I bought, this is like something I borrowed from something Peter Drucker said once, but it applies so well to the current uh, state of automation. So here we are amid the uh, euphoria surrounding generative AI. And it's pretty clear that before too long, all applications will have a conversational AI wrapped around them, a conversational experience. How do you think about both the opportunities for Ricardo of incorporating generative AI and then potentially some of the risks to the business model? Yeah, no, that's a really great question. Um, I think it's... Um, it's really exciting. First of all, just on the application side, I just want to talk about that a little bit because a lot of what we do is just about orchestrating all of the, you know, the applications and systems out there today, right? What, how does that change? But before that, I, I think you know, AI is going to do two, two things to apps. The first thing, or with apps, the first thing is what you said. I think uh, there'll be a natural language interface so you can talk to the you know, apps through more natural language way of like, get me orders that are older than 30 days, or whatever, right? That kind of stuff from Salesforce. You know, the apps will get that and that is going to just like make it easier to work with. Um, but I think there's going to be a bigger change. There's going to be, um, Salesforce has so much data around orders, uh, customers, prospects, opportunities. It can tell you, it's not just giving you the list of opportunities. It can tell you it should be, you know, with, with, these apps will also come with an LLM specific to the apps, which will, which will give you insights into this opportunity I would rate at this place and you should follow up this way and this one is in trouble. It's not just going to give you data. It will actually give you insights and, uh, and give you some like, uh, direction of what you might want to do with it. So I think because apps are, you know, like Workday is an incredible like knowledge base around how employees work. Especially the big platform apps are going to have, um, they're going to like leverage all of the knowledge and expertise they have into LLMs that are going to actually help us become smarter in how we work with those apps. That's number one. So that's the world of apps. What that means, you know, from a company point of view is now when you're looking at, but apps are still like, you know, you know, constrained to their domains. They understand their domain. And now there's like still hundreds of apps. Now they're joined by a lot of LLMs. You know, they all may be, you know, some of them are powered by OpenAI, some of them proprietary, whatever, right? So they're, you know, like domain-specific LLMs, right? You know, LLMs that understand invoices, orders. So you're going to have today, until today, orchestration, you know, of how this orchestrating, it was all about how you orchestrate people, processes, and technology. That's how it has been. Now, you also are adding to that these LLMs, which are like digital brains. How do you orchestrate uh, people, process, and uh, technologies or apps and these digital brains? 
And the opportunity to apply, the, the potential is just amazing. Amazing. I'll give you an example. Like we, we have, um, we're working with a large consumer product company that gets millions of orders and invoices you know, from, their, from their suppliers and from the retailers that they distribute through. And they, you know, today these orders come in, they're processing them in sequence. And you know, some of them are like, they follow the happy path and you're able to you know, kind of you know, execute them. But there's a lot of them that, that are exceptions that are badly formed, that it, you know, the data is off or they don't fit the pattern. And they create a mess. They kind of are exceptions that have to be dealt with manually. So these kind of companies, you know, what, what this company is looking to do is to you know, put an LL, uh, you know, use LLMs to understand the, uh, the invoice that's coming in and determine, you know, not just like execute the happy path, but understand, okay, this is an exception. This is a very large invoice that needs to be handled differently. It, could, it will trigger an exception down the line. It will tell you and actually tell you a plan for how to, how to process that based on all the intelligence, how, how, how these things were being done before, right? So, um, and we are seeing the same thing, um, you know, like, so uh, contract LLMs, invoice LLMs, and some of the app LLMs I'm talking about, these things are going to, um, today, like, you know, we do automation with apps, but really it's a centrally designed by somebody, right? Like it's apps, you know, SAP tells you how, you know, something works, you customize it, but in your company, somebody decided how orders get executed. Real world does not fit into that because the real world also changes. It throws curveballs and the curveballs, literally you lose customers, you like lose revenue, the experience is terrible. There's exceptions define our experience. And LLMs along with the automation, you know, can help you you know, understand all these different types of uh, scenarios that are like emerging in real time when they come and help you execute them appropriately. And if it sees a completely new scenario it doesn't understand, it will loop in people and it will learn from it and the next time it will. Do. So there's an opportunity for us to fully, truly get automated. The way I think about the impact is, you know, we've always talked about companies are, you know, need to be data-driven, but being data-driven in the past, you know, until now has meant that you take all of the data that you have, you generate insights from it, and then you kind of change how your company works over the next few weeks, months, you know, you're going to do projects to get better. Now, um, I call that offline data-driven. It, you know, you're taking the data. With, with LLMs, this, you know, you have all of this intelligence around these new things that are applied at the point of when those you know, when those business events, like a new customer, a new order come in. So you are actually truly data-driven in how you, how you run the company. So I think AI can make, make us really real-time and truly data-driven. Same thing with automation. Automation now, we talk about all the apps, even, you know, use Workado recipes to automate them. These are all things somebody decided what should be automated. These are all what I call happy path automations. But full true automation is about automating all of the different types of scenarios, what we would call exceptions, also automating them. So with AI, I think we get to really true potential of being data-driven and true potential of automation. So we can't have this conversation without thinking about the humanness of work and the tasks that are innately human. And 
thanks to Ricardo, you know, it's soon going to be ubiquitous and all of the mundane work is going to be gone from work. And question, kind of a thought question for you is, what does it mean to be an employee or what does it mean to be a human when we can outsource all of the mundane tasks to automation bots and we get maybe a half a day to a day back to do something else? What's going to fill the void? Yeah, yeah no, that's, that's a really, uh, I think, a, you know, really great question for these times, right? I think, uh, you know, we have our next generation coming up, you know, what, is, what does this mean for the world and like, you know, of work? You know, you know, there is no doubt that uh, certain types of work, you know, will get automated. Like I was telling, you know, it was sort of saying that's a, just a limited view of automation, but it is still an economically valuable thing. And that is going to happen. And it is going to disrupt uh, work. I mean, it's, you know, when steam engine came in, like cars came in, it just put a whole uh, number of jobs, uh, make them, made them obsolete, right? You know, a stagecoach driver or like guy that the people that build the stagecoaches are like whatever, pave the cowpaths. Like all those th- people, their jobs became irrelevant. I think the key thing is that there will be a lot of disruption, you know, and pain, you know, there is no doubt about it. But at the same time, I really believe there is this, you know, incredible opportunity to, to be for people in new roles completely new roles to be part of something really amazing. Um, you know, I'll just give you a non-consumer example of this to kind of make it more like easy for everybody to understand. You know, the, the Khan Academy like put out a bot called Khan Migo, which is like based on open AI. If you, you, you should go try it. It's, it's, a, um, uh, it's a tutor that is, it's amazing. It, you know, you, you want to learn math or some language, you know, you're doing assignments. Um, it's right there with you and it will, you know, as you're answering the questions, it will guide you and, and it'll look at your answers and tell you like, you know, where you might want to take a look at. It's like a very high quality tutor that's right there with you. And, you know, for all these different subjects, you know, like there's so much research out there, you know, kids with tutoring do one standard deviation better in test performances and people with kids with one-on-one tutoring, usually the, you know, Know, like privileged kids, there's two standard uh, deviations difference in, in like in their performance. With with AI and something like Han Migo, like I think anybody in the world, uh, any student in like a village, you know, in some like you know in in Africa, what you know they have they will have access to high quality, you know, one on one tutoring. I mean, this is game changing. It's the same thing. I really believe is the opportunity at work. You know, like you talk about twin programming and all the, there's some areas like, like when you work together with somebody else, you're better, right? I think what we're going to have is it's a similar thing, like like the tutor, like uh, you know, you you have a you have a, a you know like LLMs, digi, you know AI helping you actually process uh, the the work stream that you have and help you do it better, not just automate it, but make better decisions. I think we can be better individually. We can be, you know, better collectively. And I and you're going to be able to do things and achieve results. I talked. I gave. I talked about a couple of examples of how it can completely transform the level of smarts that you have in a company. It's. Uh, I think it will create new roles, new opportunities. It will create more value, and it also gives us some time back from just being, you know, uh, you know, like this. There's a lot of busy work that 
takes up so much of our time that um, you know that 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 we get back. So there will be disruption on cer- certain jobs and roles. But I think it, this AI is a very it's a, you know there's there's a lot of hype, there's a lot of fraud, and AI has issues you know with with accuracy. Um, uh, all of those are true, and the human in the you know human in the loop is going to be there. You know, uh, you know it is it is an important part. So that's another thing to understand. But the model of almost like a a, a digital twin that is there, like helping you do better. And um, you know, I, I think the the potential for productivity and like new types of roles is also very big. But there will probably be more disrupt, disruption first before you know the the new world uh, kind of comes into focus and then you know the the new types of careers and jobs you know come into focus like what GA Yang has done and so on. But I am uh, very um, I'm on the count me on being a the, the long-term optimistic side of what AI can do. But yeah, no, I think, uh, I think no, no rose colored glasses on like the fact that it will be, um, it will cause, it, it will be, it will cause pain and disruption as we, as we get to that place. BJ, as a product person, you are in my, uh, my personal hall of fame because you have launched multiple products that have at least a billion dollars have had at least a billion dollars of impact over your career. It's a legendary track record. Um, I think back to like a couple of years ago when RPA, robotic process automation was hot and using a product like Automation Anywhere, Blue Prism, which were popular for a time and then using Mercado. And it's hard to describe the difference, but you have a visceral connection as a user to Mercado that you just never had before. I feel like it's taking your kids to, uh, you know, the neighborhood playground versus Disneyland. You'd never get them confused, even though maybe they serve similar jobs. What's, uh, what's your secret? Well, I think, um, uh, I think the, the, the biggest thing I've been super fortunate throughout my career is I, I feel like I've, you know, I've been blessed with being in the right um, problem space, right? And more than that, being surrounded by amazing people you know, people that are like way smarter than me and teams that really liked working together and where we, you know, people that embraced like challenges, like things, you know, it's that mindset, you know, I, I, I write about, I think I've been fortunate to be part of a journey where I've, I could ex- I experience that type of a mindset of um, growth mindset, like as a team, um, I learned so much from all these folks. I, I, I think it, there is no secret. I mean, we are all a product of our environment. And sometimes they say you're the, you know, the sum of the five people closest to you. Uh, and I think there's a lot of truth to that. You've made the shift from engineering leader, product leader, to entrepreneur, to CEO at scale in a way that very few have. What has that journey taught you about yourself? You know, I think it's about, uh, it's just, you know, stay hungry, you know, stay foolish, you know, and, and, you know, don't take yourself, you know, too seriously. You know, the, the, your customers, partners, your teammates, they will teach you everything you need to know. It's all there. So uh, it, it's, um, uh, to me, all these things like product leader to where I am, it just feels like a very natural journey. Uh, even when we were doing product, um, you know, I, 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 
I really, the, where I got my energy and ideas and inspiration was, uh, was uh, from the customers. And that, uh, so when, you know, switching over to the sort of outside of the product was not, you know, I think there's a lot of skills. I mean, you don't have like the background, you have to kind of get the, you know, understand the playbook, you have to learn from experts in the, in that area. But from a, uh, like, you know, discomfort or, you know, like, uh, I didn't feel out of the zone to make that transition. What's your advice to the kid who was graduating from IIT in the 80s? Looking back at uh, your journey, what would you tell that kid? I would, I would say um, sometimes I think, uh, you know, we, we have, there, there's so much, um, uh, you know, my, I have two kids that just, you know, finished first year of college. I, so I saw their journey and looking back at my journey, there is so much emphasis on, you know, where you go to school, the branding and all of this kind of stuff. And especially when you go to a school like IIT, where there is some branding, I, I think I would say you have, you know, you feel like you've accomplished a lot by actually going to IIT. You know, we have accomplished nothing by going to any place. It's, you know, it's what we do with, you know, uh, in our life beyond school that matters. So what I would say is that, you know, be very humble. We haven't done anything yet. Some of the, you know, the smartest and the best people I've worked, you know, didn't go to this brand stuff, you know, schools. And that's what I told my kids. I don't care where you go. It's what you do when you go to, go to those places. So that's what I would say is, especially if you're coming from a school with sort of a, a name, you got to almost like work against, I mean, it's almost a disadvantage because you feel like you've achieved something and that feeling is going to stop you from really achieving you know, things that are meaningful. Hey, Vijay, we're, uh, we're about out of time. I know it feels like we're, we're just getting started. Really, truly congrats on not just today's book launch, but on uh, an amazing career that I know is just getting started. Um, before I can let you go, any other sh- thoughts that you want to share with the audience about the book, anything about today's launch? book was a long time coming for me. You know, this is, you know, there is uh, so much difficulty in the market with so much technologies and so much, you know, hype and how, you know, how do you, um, uh, you know, there's always a sense of like, there's an app for that. There's a technology for that. And I, I really wanted to kind of like really take the moment to kind of, it's not about the technology. It's about our mindset and our team's mindset, you know, in embracing change. And also, like making it a team sport, it's so much funner. If, you know, you know, like Bob Myers, like you know, the, the Warriors ball is is everybody gets touches, right? Like you know that like everybody gets touches, you know, on the floor, and that's that mindset is really important. And uh, I, I wanted us to go back to the basics a little bit outside of technology because that is what is going to be necessary for us to truly take advantage of this moment that we have with generative AI. Hey, Vijay, best of luck to you and the team. And again, congrats on, uh, on the big launch today. Thank you so much, Dan, for having me. Well, that's, uh, that's a wrap for this week on AI and the future of work. As always, I'm your host, Dan Turchin from PeopleRain. And of course, we're back next week with another fascinating guest.